Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 112. Well, guys, we survived another one. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it home. I had to sit next to a, a two-year-old screaming kid on a red-eye flight back on Friday night, and I was exhausted getting on the plane, and I think I was even more exhausted getting off the plane. Slept in on Saturday and a little bit on Sunday, too. Pretty much back to normal now. So how are you guys? I didn't travel at all, so I'm yeah. doing fine. <laughs> I think I've caught up on most of the sessions that I wanted to, to watch. Um, there's still a few I'd like to get to, but I hit all the important ones for me. Yeah, I just got back from vacation last week, and I just started marking all of the videos that I want to watch. So I haven't watched um, many of them yet. I've been following kind of news coverage. Actually, there is one that I um, watched that I was worried about from last week, and I can breathe a sigh of relief. Basically, I, I, I mentioned last week that WK WebView now has support for content blockers, uh, but it looks like they're just uh, rule lists that you can create yourself and apply only to your your web views. So no app wide ad blocker is coming yet, which is good for me at least. No system wide app blockers, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I said app wide. I'm going. I'm going crazy because. I, uh, my whole family got sick on our way home from a vacation. So I'm still kind of in a cloud. So <laughs> should be a good episode of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't say much, then we'll know why. Oh, I'm just worried about what I do say. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. This is, you've got your plausible deniability now. You can just That's say right. it's the, the medicines made you say that. Yep. <laughs> Go hog wild. Argo, I guess you haven't checked out too many of the sessions then, other than maybe what you streamed on the day of the keynote and whatnot. Yeah, nothing in depth. I, I I watched that one session I told you guys about, but I haven't watched any of the what's new in XYZs or the how to update your app for iOS uh, 11. So are there are there any sessions that you guys watched or attended that you were like, wow, this one is really good or that you guys want to talk about today? Um, not so much related to iOS content. I mean, the Michelle Obama talk was very good. Really all the lunchtime talks that I went to were, were very good. So, so, so how was the Michelle Obama talk? Tell us about that one. Well, it was it was um, a lot of her relating her experiences while in office and talking about what she's doing now. Um, she's writing a book, I guess. Who doesn't write a book these days? She there was a funny joke in the beginning when Tim Cook was introducing her. Uh, he was mentioning about how as a first lady you can do all these different things, and he he rattled off like four or five initiatives at least that Michelle Obama had started or, or worked or worked on during her time 
as first lady. And then he said, or you can do nothing at all if that's what you want. Man. <laughs> Which is, for, those who don't, for those who don't know, it's uh, alluding to our current first lady. Yeah. So that was pretty funny. Um, there was, she didn't really throw any digs around. Maybe one or two. I don't think she really said much about the current administration. So what was the substance of her talk about? Uh, it was a, it was a Q and a, but it was a Q and a between her and her name was Lisa Jackson, who was part of Apple. I forget exactly what position she's in there. Isn't she now their like VP of diversity or something like that? That, that sounds close. If, if I think she used exactly. to be in charge of their, environmental stuff, but now maybe it's a senior VP of diversity. It sounds like Apple is, is really trying to make a push uh, in that regard. So like, what kind of stuff do they talk about? So Are you allowed talk, to share? <laughs> well, yeah, they, they talked a little bit about uh, grooming the, the next leaders of tomorrow, things that you can do as a person on an individual level. Uh, one of the, one little theme was that sometimes when you have somebody in office, who you think is going to take care of everything, you as a constituent get lazy. And then all of a sudden, when there's somebody in office who isn't going with your values, then you're like, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I need to do? And really that's something that you should, her message was that you should be doing that all the time. You can't just sit back on your, on your laurels and say, yeah, he's got this. Everybody has to participate. Or she's got this, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he or she, whatever. But she was definitely talking a little bit about her her experiences or her husband's experiences in office. It was it was pretty good. It was fun seeing her speak. It was very motivational. It would it would definitely be one that if if she was gonna go on some kind of tour, I would say try to go out of your way to, to see her speak. Cool. The only other lunchtime session that I attended was the, the last one on Thursday. And that was about this uh, woman who she wanted to go into dance as a, as a young kid and went to university and got a BS in computer science and then kind of as like a fallback thing. And then she decided she was going to work for a little while and she ended up working at Bloomberg and um, she then saved up enough money and paid off her student loans. And then she was going to go into uh, full-time dance when she got a medical examination and found out that she had cancer and the cancer was really bad. And it ended up, the treatment ended up uh, destroying part of her hip and some of the muscles in her hip. So after she was done, she was in remission, but she, couldn't really dance because it had damaged so much of her legs that uh, she had to wait a while. And then um, she ended up founding a company. She went to, to uh, dub dub in 2009, saw a presentation about how wireless technology was getting smaller and smaller. And she thought, what can I do with this? And she created this dance company that uses electroluminescent uh, wire. So I don't know if you've seen, like some maybe videos of uh, America's Got Talent, and it's these dancers that are dancing in the dark, but they have 
these uh, luminescent wires on them, and they control those things wirelessly. And so sometimes they'll have like four dancers lined up, and the and they're in different positions, and then they turn off and on each of their suits in succession to make it look like a like an action scene has just occurred. It's it's really cool stuff. So she was she had founded that company, and they actually. Uh, performed two numbers for us and that was pretty neat but they had to have the whole entire hall dark the the um ushers were walking around telling people to turn off their phones and close their laptop lids and all this stuff but yeah it was it was pretty neat have you guys seen that at all you know what i'm talking about i haven't seen it i, I read the description uh, it sounds like uh don't they perform somewhere on a regular basis yeah, so they have a, she ended up opening up a uh, little theater in New York. They run a show in uh, in Seasons, and then they're also going to be going on tour soon. So, and they've done other productions, so like, she was kind of the tech behind some things, and then eventually turned it into her own production studio, so where they were putting on their own ori- their own original content. Well, I'm going to New York uh, later this month. I wonder if we'll be running while I'm there. I'll have to look into that. It sounds kind of cool. Yeah, the company is Illuminate, I think it was called. Overall, though, it was a very it was an inspirational talk. You know, just seeing how she was able to marry these two different technologies together and still fulfill her dream. What did you guys feel about the conference in general? I know you guys were kind of looking in on the outside. What do you think of the the session content overall? It's kind of interesting this year. I mean, there's a lot of new development kits, uh, especially around AI, ML, uh, augmented reality. You know, that, that seemed to be a lot of the focus. And then the other kind of big concentration of contents around drag and drop. Like, there's got to be like five or six sessions just on drag and drop, uh, which which is kind of interesting. That uh, I I don't know if that suggests that it's difficult or uh, that there's a lot of different ways of applying it or maybe a combination of the two honestly there's like four delegate methods that you implement and that's drag and drop yeah <laughs> but, but like it, that came well, drag depends, and drop yeah. w- was touched on in a lot of different sessions and then there's several dedicated just to drag and drop um so you know maybe they just had filler space uh, there was uh sessions on design this year uh, a little bit more than usual they had a series of design shorts so kind of lightning talks uh from the design team and some of those were really good uh you know the one on typography i thought especially was enlightening i hadn't i you know i definitely picked up a few things from that that i didn't realize before like the difference between display text and display fonts and text fonts you mean like print fonts Oh, that's that's what I was thinking before. Like, display was like screen displays, and text was for print. But uh, display is more for uh, more for headers and titles, where text is more for body text for reading. Uh, so the, the structure of the font, even in the same family, just designed a little bit better. You know, one for being kind of big and condensed, and the other for just uh, readability of a lot of text. At a smaller size. Okay. So, you know, yeah. just little things like that that I picked up uh, from some of those sessions. There was one uh, session, I think it was in What's New in Cocoa Touch, um, that 
you know, uh, Eliza put up on the slide about auto layout and scroll views now being easier to set up with auto layout because now they've got two different uh, sets of uh, layout guides, one for the frame and one for the content. Yes. Uh, I was so, so happy to see that. Yeah. Well, I got really excited about that, but there were like of all the things that they could have done a demo for, like that's the one <laughs> I really wish they had done because like if you, anybody who's tried to do that in interface builder, it's like a 12 step process and it's, it's, you know, that would have been a great demo of that 12 step process going down to like one step or two steps, but you know, they just kind of went on and, and talked about other things, unfortunately. And I, I just, before we started recording, tried to do that in Xcode nine and I'm not really seeing it like not an interface builder. So, oh, you know, I'm, I don't know if it's just not there yet or it can only be done in code, but I guess we'll find out, you know, it is, you know, beta one, but yeah. you know, you were asking about, you know, what sessions definitely it should touch on. Like the platform state of union is kind of like the high level 50,000 foot view of, of what's new. And then uh, what's new in Cocoa touch and what's new in Cocoa are probably the next level down. And then you can dive into different sessions from there. Yeah. I would recommend, catching like the, the intro to drag and drop. And I don't know if you need anything more than that. Yeah. I think if you want to do something more particular with it, then maybe some of the other sessions are a little more focused. I haven't really well, dug into those yet. Well, if you have an app that you know would make really good use of drag and drop, I'm sure you would, you would probably look into all the drag and drop videos, figure out which ones you need to watch, but yeah. And really the drag and drop stuff pretty much just applies to iPad. They they did say that I think that drag and drop is in iPhone right now, but I heard conflicting sayings that it was going to be removed from iPhone. So it's in, in iPhone currently the way it is today, you can drag and drop within your own app. Yeah, there's I don't think you can drag between apps. No, uh, I don't think that was the intent. And so it sounded like it. If it's on the iPhone or going to be on the iPhone, it's not going to be everything. Right. So in one way, I, I'm very pleased they are doubling down and focusing on the iPad a lot more with the, the drag and drop stuff. Uh, definitely feels like they're pushing the iPad more, uh, especially also with the new 10 and a half inch iPad and better screen refreshes and refresh rates and all those features on the new iPad. So that feels cool. Yeah. And if, you know, I, I find that if you pair it with the keyboard case, which adds a lot of bulk, uh, but it feels a lot more like a laptop and with drag and drop and multitasking, I think that makes it a more viable replacement for a laptop for, you know, people that don't need more. Well, yeah, it's weird because everyone else other than Apple has kind of really stopped making, I, I guess other than Apple and Microsoft has stopped making kind of big tablets. There's, you know, your seven inch tablets that you give to a kid to watch videos with. And then it's just Apple and Microsoft. So it seems like Apple's trying to find a, find a, find a, yeah, find a home or kind of like make it worthwhile to be its own category. Because I think we've gotten to the point where it's just a big phone uh, right now and they added a bunch of stuff. So hopefully this will, get lots of developers to update their apps and let you do a lot more productivity wise. I know there's some people who are already doing a lot with it kind of as their daily drivers even, but 
Uh, this can only go further to make it more that way, hopefully. I use mine every day, so uh, I might not be the norm, but I really like my iPad. And, you know, I did uh, try out the Affinity Photo app, and that's actually, actually really well done. Uh, I wish Affinity Photo got as much traction as Sketch does. Uh, or not photo, but design. Uh, and I hope they bring Affinity Design to the iPad as well. Do you have a, a pencil, Alex, or do you just use the iPad by itself? I do have the pencil, but honestly, I don't use it very much. I need to try it well, with the latest update with the beta. I've got my 12.7-inch iPad Pro that we got because we just wanted to be able to test on that device. And I kind of want to give it a go with kind of using it for more stuff uh, now that I can. I'm like, do I need to get a pencil to try this out too? Or I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it depends. My son uses the pencil a lot. He does a lot of drawing on the iPad. I still haven't managed to, A, find the right app for sketching on the iPad, and B, still doesn't feel enough like paper. Like Just the you know pencil on paper, pen on paper, definitely has a different feel than, uh, than the Apple Pencil on glass. So I haven't quite acclimated to the idea of drawing or writing on the iPad yet. Well, my 10 and a half inch Pro comes tomorrow, so I'll have to let you know later how it feels. I, I did order the pen with it. Now, I noticed with the beta, maybe it's just me, but uh, I haven't figured out how to get into multitasking. You know, the gestures that worked before don't seem to work. I can't swipe from the side. I, I really haven't figured out how to do split screen or anything. So I don't know if they changed the gesture <laughs> or just broken in the beta or just something goofy with my setup. But that's really kind of weird that, you know, I, I was excited to try it out and um, the drag and drop, but I can't, can't get two apps side by side yet. It's <laughs> funny. I don't think I've tried that. I, I figured I most apps don't had... support drag and drop anyway. I want to say there is something I did with a doc, because I remember stumbling upon it when I was early in the beta, but I could not tell you a step-by-step guide to how it is. So hopefully well, you can we can like figure a... that out before next week. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's like, uh, because I'm used to it working the other way, I just it can't figure it out, you know, if the gesture's changed or if it just doesn't work. Like, or if it does work and it's just totally not intuitive. Yeah, I haven't figured it out. I can, like, multi-select and drag icons around, but I... I have not figured out. Like, it seemed like they just kind of flicked it over to the side and and it, like, pinned to the side. But, yeah, I, I haven't been able to get it to do that. So uh, We're hopefully. a bunch of old non-iPad users. we got to figure yeah. this out. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, like, you know, like I said, I couldn't get the scroll view thing to work in uh, Interface Builder yet. Uh, the other thing I wanted to try out was the uh, names, colors. That was one thing I was hoping for uh, in Xcode, and and we did get that. So um, yeah, it seems kind of cool. Now uh, that's another thing I tried shortly before the podcast, and I got an internal error occurred. <laughs> Editing <laughs> function may be limited, so um, so I was able to create a, a color asset catalog or color assets in the asset catalog and create some named colors, but. Uh, they're not showing up, and then I, I can pick them in Interface Builder, but they don't render, and then I get an error. So, um, but I'm kind of excited about that. I'm hoping that um, you know it will be really useful going forward, and it's uh, you know the the support for custom fonts with dynamic type, I think, is another really good improvement. Yeah, that definitely seemed like a, a one of those things that's 
probably should have been there for a long time that they finally added. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe there was a way to do it some way, but it was more difficult. And that this is just an easier way to do it now. You kind of had to cobble it together on your own. You could you could get kind of size for font. Um, it they made some changes to the font API that you know where you could get the relative size um, for the style, and then apply that to your font. But that's not necessarily you know. Fonts have different font metrics, so you, you don't know if the size is going to be quite right. Uh, so I, I think this is probably pretty good. Um, there's prob- probably opportunities to make it better, but I'm looking forward to trying it out. Yeah. One thing I didn't get that I was really hoping for was, or we didn't get, uh, was something like this, you know, a card stack um, view. Oh, I got like- that in my SDK. I don't know <laughs> what your issue is, Alex. <laughs> Like, uh, you know, for people that can't visualize it, kind of the way the Apple Music, you can, the play bar, you can tap on and it scrolls up and has a card uh, that or doesn't maps. take up the, the full screen. Uh, so it's just, oh, yeah. it's a style that Apple's been using a lot. Starbucks and a few other apps have been using it for a while. Um, so I was kind of hoping that would be a standard view controller. So I didn't have to roll my own. I get, did that originate in Passbook back in the day? Well, yeah, Passbook had the, that Passbook card Passbook and the lists. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a similar kind of thing. This, I, I guess the difference that you're talking about is this is kind of just like one card on top of other cards versus a stack of cards. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of a, and the nice thing about it is, you know, kind of moving from a top control oriented view to a bottom control oriented view, you know, as the screens mm-hmm. get bigger and taller, yeah. um, you kind of want to move that functionality down. So being able to kind of, you know, have have stuff at the bottom bar and then be able to expand it for text entry or, um, you know, additional details is kind of a nice uh, pattern, visual pattern. Uh, on the plus side, uh, the advanced animations with UI kit shows you how to build it. And they've made some APIs to make that easier, like animating the corners, rounding and uh, adding a blur to the background. Uh, with an animation timer timing. So uh, they at least have a session uh, for people who want to build their own. Well, there you go. So I'm sure we'll have a billion Cocoa Pods based on the Apple sample code, but way better in a month or two. Well, some of them will be way better. Yeah. Well, there's normally a decent amount of room to improve from Apple sample code. So there's a few open source projects out there already that that implement that style, but... uh, think it would have been nice to have a idiomatic implementation that you know s- standard based implementation that everybody used but yeah this was not the year for it so so sam i'm curious we've talked about kind of the content of wwdc but how did you feel kind of with the the location and all that i've heard kind of mixed reviews of of san jose the one complaint that i saw was I wish the restaurant and bars were open up later. But other than that, what are your feelings on the actual San Jose locale? Do you want it back there next year? Do you want it to go back to San Francisco? You know, I think from an Apple perspective, it was a win because their people were a lot closer. Uh, from a attendee perspective, maybe not such a good win. Uh, San Jose's harder to get to uh, from from our area, from our town. There, there are no direct flights to San Jose and probably from a lot of towns there are no direct flights. 
So you tend to have to fly into somewhere like LAX in Los Angeles, and then you have a layover, and then you can fly into San Jose. Or you can do like what I did and fly into San Francisco, and then you have an hour drive or hour train ride to get to San Jose. So neither of those are really great options. And um, the, I think the hotels were supposed to be cheaper, but they weren't really that cheaper, that much cheaper, if they were at all. Um, the, my room was better. You know, I definitely got more for my money, but I still probably sp spent about as much as I did in any, any other conference here on hotel. Um, the San Jose Convention Center, it was okay. It wasn't spectacular. I felt like there was this really, really, there was just one hallway that pretty much everybody was trying to get to their next session up and down there. So they're all crowding this one hallway uh, for the most part. So that, you know, every 40 minutes or so, it was just this mad dash to your next conference, to your next session. And when I say mad dash, it's more like a slow stampede. So that was, that could have been better. Actually, getting into the keynote on Monday wasn't bad at all. I got there about seven or so, and then pretty early on, they, they let us into the building, and we were able to get snacks and things like that. So that wasn't bad. It was definitely an improvement over Moscone, and uh, I mean, it's hard not to be an improvement over Bill Graham, I think. I didn't like that place too much. The seats were way too small for me. Overall, San Jose is clean. I didn't have to walk past any kind of homeless shelter to get to my hotel. I was never propositioned by any um, ladies <laughs> like I was last year. Overall, that was better, but it's definitely a, a much smaller town. And uh, they're, they're downtown. It, it doesn't really have much life past. Well, I don't think I really saw hardly any businesses down there. Like any of the, the large buildings were all hotels. And so... During the day, the, the traffic was non-existent in the downtown itself. Everybody pretty much seems to work out in the, the suburbs somewhere. That was kind of a letdown. Just didn't have the same kind of atmosphere as San Francisco does. Yeah, San Jose, I mean, if it was back there again next year, I wouldn't hate it. I definitely feel like I kind of missed out by taking a five-hour plane ride and not actually getting into San Francisco and spending my time mostly in San Jose. So it sounds like you'd, you'd like it better if it was back in San Francisco. I would. Yeah, I, okay. I, I understand for, from Apple's perspective that it's pretty much a two-hour round trip to go from Cupertino into San Francisco and back. And that takes a lot of time out of their, their schedules, and they have to plan accordingly. Whereas San Jose, Cupertino is probably 20, 30 minutes from it if that, so it's much better for them. But yeah, I would prefer it was back in San Francisco. And it didn't even get out to the Stinking Rose. That was, it was a travesty. Yeah, the Stinking Rose is good if you like your garlic. It's hard to go wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, well, so one other thing uh, that I did get a chance to look into last week was around the same time the keynote and all that good stuff was happening, Apple dropped some new uh, App Store review guidelines on us. And if you're kind of curious about them, you can go to App Store Review Guidelines History dot com. Uh, if you want to see an actual diff, which is really helpful and kind of seeing what the differences are between what they used to be and what what they are now. Um, but I think 
the big one uh, kind of relates to the new review rating dialogue that Apple gave us in iOS 10.3. Oh, that guy. So it's pretty quick, I feel like. Uh, but the basically the new the new rule is you need to use the provided API to prompt users to review your app. This functionality allows customers to provide an app store rating and review without the inconvenience of leaving your app. And we will disallow custom review prompts. So no more custom review prompts in iOS 11 isn't even out yet. So it's it's pretty aggressive. Um, but one thing they also added, uh, which I think made a lot of developers happy, is you now have the option to reset your reviews when you do an app update. So the big reason everyone was prompting their users for apps is because every time you did an app update, your reviews went back to zero and you basically started from scratch. So now if you can just keep your existing reviews, uh, I I feel like we'll, we'll probably definitely not prompt every app update and likely just try to get one good review out of somebody. So I think overall, this is a win for developers and users. And you even have the option to reset your reviews if you have some like horrific update that, you know, makes you want to scrap it all because <laughs> so of some horrible bug that you had. So you get a do over, huh? Yeah, although you get a do over. But if you had built up like three years of of app reviews, in theory, you would go back down to zero, which could not be good. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I see an app that has 10,000 reviews, that looks more appealing to me than one that has zero 300 reviews or 20 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. If they're, if they're similar star ratings. Yeah. So you know what else you have to do with iOS 11? You have to have 64 bit. So remember in, uh, was it 10, 10, three, they were bit shaming everybody that was still 32 bit. Well, now you can't even use that app anymore. I feel like there, the number of apps on my device that, we're being bit shamed has gone down and the ones that are there now are ones that I probably don't even need on my device anymore. Um, or they're just really old games that I'm just going to have to deal with not having, which is not a big deal to me. I, I think it's, I mean, it seems like a fine thing to enforce. We had a lot of time to, to update our apps. So oh yeah, this is a long yeah. time coming. Yeah. I got lectured by my dad about uh, some of the apps on his phone that are 32 bit. And uh, he actually emailed the developers to see if they would update them to be 64-bit. And he got back from one developer in particular, you know, the, a sob story about having health problems and and just not having time to do anything with the app. And uh, <laughs> so he's asking me how hard it is to to update it to 32-bit or from 32-bit to 64-bit. And, and like it, it depends, like. For a lot of apps, it's not a lot of work, but, you know, if you're doing a lot of drawing, you're using a lot of 32-bit numbers in Objective-C or whatever, then you might have a little more work to do. I you just change all that to CG float from float. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not too hard, uh, but if you have a third-party library you depend on and they haven't updated and, you know, it just kind of snowballs. Well, the, the worst yeah, my part hunch is... is if you don't even have the source code anymore. yeah. That doesn't help either, which, um, you know, we had uh, one app that we inherited and it was built in Unity. So we had to get the latest version of Unity and rebuild it. Uh, and it took a while for the client to even find the source code. Um, they had to go back to the other developer to, to get the source code. And uh, 
it didn't take long after that. But Unity changed the licensing from a flat fee to a subscription fee, and you have to pay for at least one year. And you know, all we needed to do was recompile, and we had to pay for a year of Unity <laughs> to do that. Yeah, the yeah, I feel like along those lines, especially if you have an app that hasn't been updated since iOS five or so, which I think was around the last time you could only do, you could do a thirty two bit only app. The hardest part. And like you said, unless there's some unique situation, is going to be just updating your app from iOS 5 to iOS 11. I feel like that's going to be the hardest part. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, that's uh, that kind of reminds me of, you know, Swift 4. You know, we haven't really talked about that, but some, from most reports, that moving from Swift 3 to 4 is relatively painless. So that's good news. And Xcode 9 lets you kind of decide when you move over and you don't have to move everything at once. So if you have a bunch of Swift libraries, uh, you don't have to upgrade them all in one shot. So that's uh, a huge improvement over what we had going from two to three. Yeah, I found that interesting. But yet there are caveats where some things may work like the old 3.2 style for now, but in later versions of Swift 4, they will be brought up to date with Swift 4 standards. So it's not going to be a perfect 3.2 compatibility mode. And it's kind of weird. It's the same compiler um, that they're using. So you can actually use some of the Swift 4 features, even though you're targeting Swift 3.2. So not true for everything. So like, I'm not quite sure where that line is, but it sounded like you can slowly transition. Uh, but, you know, in typical Apple style, I'm sure they're going to create incentive one way or the other to move you fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder what happens when Swift 4.1 comes out. Does this bridge back to the last version? Is it just like previous and current or do we do we get into a situation where they're supporting like seven different versions of, of Swift with one compiler? It'll be interesting to see how that goes. So do you actually want to talk about that last thing on the list, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the dub dub topics, I think we've covered that. Uh, just one kind of call out, you know, anybody who's in the, the U.S. that is interested in uh, making sure people have health care and have a strong opinion about that. I definitely urge people to call their senator and and uh, let them know how you feel about it and, and um, you yeah, know, get involved. Yeah, if there hasn't already been a vote by the time this podcast get out and call uh well i guess that's about all the time we have left this week so why don't you guys tell us where we can pledge our honest loyalty to you i mean uh find you on the internet you can find me at aj robinson and i'm at sam quarter you can find me at alex argo and the podcast is shared inst uh join us in slack uh by going to chat.sharedinstance.com and leave us a review on iTunes. Hit that star button in Overcast, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Kafefe. <laughs> <laughs> That's staying in there. <laughs>